Hi, this is Scott Moy with GPG Advisors. This is another RE Insight podcast, and we're fortunate today to have Brian Harper, President and CEO of Ramco Properties. We're going to talk about that more, and we're in your new office space in New York, which looks great. Thanks. In your new role. Thank you. Which we'll talk about. <laughs> I look forward to it. Yeah, and I do as well. So thank you again for the time. So I want to go back, I always go back early, and, and it's hard, I, I actually could not find where you grew up, and I worked mm-hmm. on that, I worked pretty hard actually, mm-hmm. to be honest, as I normally do. I can guess, but I don't, I don't know, where, where was home originally, where'd you grow up? So I was born just outside New York, uh, in, in Greenwich, Connecticut, um, my dad was a banker, my mom was a school teacher, uh, and moved when I was young to actually outside Chicago, Lake Forest. Um, he opened up, uh, my dad opened up an office for Bank of New York in Chicago mm-hmm. and spent uh, much of my life, um, well, I say kind of New York is ninth generation New Yorker, yeah. um, growing up in uh, Lake Forest. Do you have siblings? I do. I, I'm the oldest of three, so my brother's two years apart. My sister is uh, five years apart. Okay. Yeah. So I have four kids and my my oldest one just beat the cahoots out of the younger ones for a while until they grew up. So yeah. I don't know if your house was the same. Oh, it was very much. I mean, not to the not to the little <laughs> sister, but uh, very yeah. much. My brother uh, got a lot of beatings on the basketball court and football fields and and all that. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was a. It was a rambunctious uh, uh, backyard, if you will, and just with not only us, but you know the neighborhood kids playing sports. Athletics were a big part of my life and brother's life, and beat the heck out of each other, to say the least. And were you playing uh, high school sports mm-hmm. as well? So tennis and basketball were kind of my go-tos, um, and then you know the football, soccer, kind of up till high school. Yeah. And then where did you end up in college? Went to University of Kansas. And how did you um, pick it? It was going to be, at, at one time, a uh, potential playing tennis. Um, mm-hmm. and, then, and then, quite honestly, uh, it was going to a basketball game, a Missouri KU game, and falling in love and, and uh, going from there. I, I looked at a number of different schools and really came down to SMU and, and KU, um, but not academic related more athletics and other related so in what year did you graduate uh two uh, graduated in 2000 uh 2000. yeah college and a bachelor's degree bachelor's degree in history was gonna okay. go in and uh do the pre-law if you will mm-hmm. wanted to be a lawyer um and Got out of that, and actually during school, I had an internship with Universal Music Group. There was 13 internships in the country, and Kansas City, St. Louis were one that I covered, um, and it was phenomenal. I, mean, I learned much more on from the internship than I did in education. And it was basically any new band that came out, I was in charge of their promotions and basically sales strategy for that region along with obviously corporate people from LA yeah so that's um, interesting it was was fascinating I mean pretty much once every other quarter I would go to LA and got to sit in on major meetings including with the CEO of Universal at the time and Mm -hmm. it was uh, a a very good thing you switched then I'm fascinated actually years ago I was chasing something with Republic Records in town in New York City so I was a general growth and I went in for this pitch, and we were trying to bring in early stage musicians into our properties, right? And 
they bring me into this room, it's the CMO, he's probably my age, I think it's about age. And there were another 40 millennials in that room, we're all in beanbags. <laughs> but it was a great experience, but it had to be a blast. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was, it was any, I mean, this was Jay-Z at the time, it was U2 at the time, it was, um, you know, Eminem before he came, you know, was big. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it was it was basically, we were their SWAT team. We were sponsored by Puma, you know, before mm-hmm. Puma was cool. Um, and really wanted to be, from that, I got a taste of, I want to be an AR guy mm-hmm. and find the next U2 and basically get mm-hmm. two pennies <laughs> off of every sale or every song yeah. planned. And, um, you know, long story short, I did get offered a job by uh, DreamWorks, which was Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. Geffen, and, and Katzenberg uh, when they were launching their record label and long story short I was in Southwest South by Southwest and just got hit with that gut feeling that it's not for me Hmm. and uh, remember calling my girlfriend now my wife at the time uh, we both met at KU and said I'm out you know I'm not taking this job and she's like what do you want to do and I'm like I've always just been enamored with real estate um so Cohen Esri. Yeah, so I jumped to, uh, I, I did a lot of knocking on doors and really didn't have any network in. Um, at the time, it was a brokerage uh, world where it was, listen, I think, Scott, I think if you could fog a mirror, you can get a job because they pay a $19,000 draw that you had mm-hmm. to pay back. And, and you know, met with a number of brokerage houses and you know, all, you know, wanted it, um, but ended up going with Cohen Estuary, which was the largest firm in Kansas City at the time. Yeah, three years you were you yeah. were there. Yeah. What made you decide to move on? Well, my then mentor at the time was a guy named Dan Lowe, and he was, uh, started a company called Red Development, mm-hmm. and he ventured off, and, and having East Coast background, Chicago background, Kansas City well, a lovely city. Um, yeah. My wife and I wanted to live in a larger city, so he had a, a, a non-compete at the time from taking people at Cohen Estuary, but to live in Kansas City. They opened a Phoenix office as well. Mm. So moved to Phoenix um, and did that for a number of years and tremendous company and, and developing, uh, being an associate, if you will, uh, for partners that were developing a pretty big business. Um, we're merchant builders for Targets and Walmarts and lifestyle centers across the country. So yeah, they're, they're st- up. still active too, right? Yeah, I was yeah, looking active. like I think a year before you came, two people came in that were probably influential, at least with the company. I'm not sure with you, Steve uh, Mon, who came yep. as president, and then I think he actually just left in the yep. last year. And then uh, Jeff McMahon, mm-hmm. who I think is still there, who's yes. on the design side, right? Yeah. They had, like, great assets and stuff. It looks like a great company. Yeah, all tremendous people, and they they did a lot for my career, and I owe them a lot. Um, you know, they were small and grew and, and were nimble and tenacious and mm-hmm. built lifestyle centers at the time with kind of the who's who of, in middle markets. Mm-hmm. And... Um, did a very very well good job and, and from what I see um, are doing a tremendous job still so you leave there in 2006 yep and you go to general growth yeah and when was the Rouse transaction of general growth was this before that wasn't it in right four before, yeah I think it was yeah, four right or five before, or something yeah. so you came in after that they were yep. big yeah they were big and growing and so we did a um, we did a project at red um, in Omaha in in West Omaha to be exact and 
Village Point, and mm-hmm. it was you know your Apples and Jay Cruz, and it was at the time, um, I believe it was Bob Michaels called and said, "Sick and tired of hearing your name. Let's have a coffee." And it was like George Steinbrenner calling. This was a guy I, I you know, I, I watched from afar, and and obviously uh, just adored from from a business reputation mm-hmm. and just from an execution and really just from what he did at GGP. And it was like, let's have a coffee. So flew out to Chicago and that led to that. And and, um, and it was just a, a great run there. And he was a, a big influence on me. Um, obviously, you know, didn't get a lot of time with him one-on-one time. Uh, spent some, some time with him one-on-one, but just watching from afar and just how it presented himself the integrity he had the discipline he had you know the teams he hired the accountability that he put on each and every one of us um, but also his direct reports there's a lady Jean Schlemmer who was also um, mm-hmm. very very impactful for me and if I go back to um, when you were at Red was it leasing or operations it was, or leasing. It was leasing it was leasing okay. yeah. yeah is that effectively when you came over at General Growth correct. in the same capacity correct yeah so, and then any particular areas? Was it you so I did, geographic yeah, responsibility? Did, I did food at first, kind of restaurant, and this was kind of when there really weren't a lot of restaurant uh, leasing, yeah. you know, back at the time, and then switched to box, and then did small shop, and so kind of they just kept on moving me around, which yeah. at the time uh, I was, I felt a little... Uh, you know, concerned of just every year and a half they switched me, but now um, I'm very thankful that they did that because the Rolodex grew and, and obviously um, each deal has a different skill set. and So it was great, you know, great. It's funny, if you go back to your Universal days, mm-hmm. it isn't, it, it's just a different space thinking yeah. about it, right? Because you were searching for talent mm-hmm. and in a way you were searching for talent, yeah. right, at General Growth. Like 100% and, agree. I mean, it really was one of the best things that happened to me as a, a youth um, because it taught me from a corporate, you know, environment, but mm-hmm. still an entrepreneurial environment where my office during the university days was out of my room. Mm-hmm. I was still charged with coming up with creative uh, avenues, if you will, to get Blink-182 more airplay. Or when Jay-Z's coming to town, what are we going to do for, mm-hmm. you know, events? Um, and they would really push it all to us. Would there be governance? Sure. Um, but they gave us the poetic freedom to, to run with it. Yeah. And a lot of that, I think, is real estate, right? Where... It's, it is it could be corporate in a large environment like GGP but given the um, the, the the runway to uh, merchandise the way you want to approach it or prospect the way you want to prospect mm-hmm. or send marketing blist or email blasts um, however you do or, 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 or just you know knock on doors and canvas uh, for weeks on end yeah, yeah. so that's you're, you're the first person I've done a podcast with that went through a company that was in bankruptcy mm-hmm. and so and actually it's been lar- the largest real estate bankruptcy ever one of the mm-hmm. largest bankruptcies regardless of the industry right forever mm-hmm. and we know the story which i think is a good story of what ended up happening we'll talk about it but what ca- it couldn't have been fun like what carried you through that period it was it was tough and um you know we moved to chicago from phoenix mm-hmm. and so you know bought a 
little house, but at the time it was, you know, by far our largest asset, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, we just had a child that was just diagnosed with autism. And so you had all these things coming where job security, mm-hmm. <laughs> child with autism, new neighborhood, unfamiliar grounds, you know, for my wife and really even I, and just a lot of um, uncertainty. Where in Chicago was home? So we bought in uh, in Lakeview, South Park. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So I joined. You and I never really crossed yeah. paths, I don't think. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I was there in May, mm-hmm. and you left within a few months mm-hmm. for Rouse, actually. Mm-hmm. So why don't you talk about, I don't know if everyone really knows the entire story of what happened with Rouse and the opportunities that it gave you. Yeah, so, I mean, it was, um, you know, a, a very process that Sandeep Mithrani at the time, um, and, and I think it was a genius move of, of spinning out, uh, I think it was 35, 36 assets at the time, um, to really focus on their company on A assets, mm-hmm. right? And uh, the spinoff was maybe neglected at the time or redevelopment assets where you can go in and have a focused team, both leasing, development, et cetera, um, you know, focused on that, right? Separate team, separate publicly traded entity. And so I was uh, EVP of leasing mm-hmm. um, at the time. And and, uh, and then a CEO was announced, uh, Andy Silverfine, in, in January. And, you know, he's, he was a big influence of my life as well. Um, and then, you know, a team was assembled. So um, it was a another risk. You know, this was moving from there to New York, which, again, I, I wanted to get back here. Um, but, you know, with the spinoff of maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, you know. <laughs> And uh, not a lot of things in writing, yeah. um, but I did have a, a lot of, uh, of faith and trust in Sandeep and, and knew that, God forbid, if something happened, um, he would watch out for me and other, uh, do the right thing. Um, and you had said previously there are only two people that didn't think you were completely insane, and yeah. one was Sandeep and the other, I think, was your wife. I'm yeah. not sure if the wife part's true. but Yeah, my wife, <laughs> I think, you know, but she, I've always been, yeah, Sandeep and my wife were the only ones that were said it wasn't crazy. Uh, this was, you know, I don't want to say the name, it was, it was something co that people called yes. it, and uh, <laughs> and. You know, it was a risk, and but I, I, it was a tremendous learning experience of, you know, no brand at the time, from creating mm-hmm. websites to creating a brand to creating business plans to creating, you know, to building a team. Um, it wouldn't be anything I would trade in the world. And it was, you know, it, it was it was just, it was unbelievable. And, um, you know, I owe a lot to Sandeep, I owe a lot to... My wife for putting up with me with crazy <laughs> craziness and travel and it was a lot of effort both with the other management team and, and, and the rest of the team but um, you know I remember calling my wife being on a tour with some of the executives at GGP and just saying you know this was two months after we moved to New York with the sun going through that stuff and uh, called her at 10 o'clock and we were seeing a mall actually in Eugene Oregon where the best tenant at that time inside the mall was like a batting cage, you know, yeah. <laughs> and you know the the smell of you know rotten popcorn and mm. and uh, 
it was a beauty. But I called my wife at 10 o'clock, so 1 o'clock in the morning here, and I said, I think I put our family in jeopardy. She's like, what? She's like, what are you talking about? And not the call she wants, by the way. Not the call. And she's like, you'll, you'll figure it out. You always do. Right. I just hung up the phone. And, um, you know, looking back, it's just she, she always believed and was never nervous once. Because that had to be a defining moment. You go back part of that and you were majority of years on the leasing side, yeah. which actually is the lifeblood, right? Yeah. There's no doubt about it yeah. right, relative to our space. And suddenly you spend, you know, you went in the leasing side initially at Rouse, then became, if my memory is correct, chief operating officer. Then the last couple of years you were there, you were the CEO. Mm-hmm. Those are huge shifts for anyone. And for you, it was in a pretty short amount of time. Yeah. So no, it's, I mean, listen, I had great mentors. I mentioned Sandeep, mentioned Andy Silverfine. Um, where it was, yeah, it was it was awesome. And I do think, you know, a lot of the move was, you know, being in New York was a big catapult for my career mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, being able to, you know, mingle with some of these investment bankers or mm-hmm. other large shareholders or analysts or um, just the financial world. Mm-hmm. And that helped me get up to speed, you know, pretty quick. Um, I don't think that would have happened in a Phoenix or a Kansas City. No knock on those cities. They're, again, beautiful, right. but this is the mecca for that world. It's true. And um, it just helped um, my learning curve, if you will, um, mm-hmm. that much faster. So if you, it's interesting. If you go back, this is years ago. I had read, I forget the name of the book, but it's about trade routes mm-hmm. over time. You think about ice or salt or silk, and you know, you'd see these certain cities. And automotive, we could yep. say something really right. Yep. And financial hubs, which I think in some ways are many tied to the real estate hubs, are pretty obvious. And yep. New York is it, North yep. America. Yep. Then you go to Europe, it's London, Frankfurt for different mm-hmm. reasons, but it's really London, right? Mm-hmm. For sure, London, yeah. You go to Asia, then it kind of... But there, there's something to be said about the, the value of being in those trade routes. Because it's mm-hmm. not Chicago. Chicago's a great real estate town, right? Yeah. But it's certainly uh, not in the same position that you would see in New York. So yeah, and I mean, some of my dearest friends are now in finance or other roles, you know, with outside of real estate or, um, you know, um, music industry even <laughs> that goes back to that okay. or um, just a wide, you know, tech. Uh, it's, it's tremendous. Yeah. It's tremendous. What, you've mentioned a couple mentors, but what, what makes a mentor? What sort of more tactically interaction level does that mean to you? I think now it's, it's, it's people that people that put it that life to me Scott is a lot about boundaries right where I believe in and, and I've learned this the hard way but before I kind of said yes to everything mm-hmm. will you do this yes will you do that yes I just mm-hmm. like helping right mm-hmm. now it's very as, as my job as being on the board of autism speaks you know having a son with special needs it's like mm-hmm. the time commitment is, is very challenging so I just believe in giving excellence to everything I say yes to and finding mentors that will give excellence back, right? So for me now, um, there's two really that come to mind. It's it's a gentleman named Brian Kelly, who's a a big real estate czar, uh, Mm -hmm. built a huge family office uh, out of Boston and and Palm Beach, uh, sits on the board with me at Autism Speaks, Mm -hmm. and it's really proved to be... uh, 
a guide uh, navigating business with a son with special needs. And then there's another gentleman named Billy Mann who sits on the board with me, who has four kids, two with autism, and uh, again, navigating, you know, a, a hectic travel life, a hectic work life with, you know, being a dad, but also being a husband and 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 how that comes along with it and they they have been just massive uh blessings from not only myself but for my wife and my children did you know them before you were involved with autism you know them through there yeah that's great yeah we've gone on vacations together with billy and, and their four kids and you know it they just uh we talk business but we also mostly talk life mm-hmm so let's talk about Autism Speaks, actually, yeah. and your son, Caleb, mm-hmm. and you have a daughter, Zoe, I think, mm-hmm. right? And Caleb, is he a teenager? I think he's a teenager now. He's turning 13 in uh, November 23rd. Okay. And you've talked a fair amount about him and the, uh, I guess with anything in life, probably, right? There's, uh, even in the best of circumstances, there's teachable moments, right? Mm-hmm. And there's moments of joy and moments of grief. Mm-hmm. and. And I can't even compare what with Kayla. I think my twelve-year-old is at that stage where she just is growing and wants to leave the house, and I'm telling her, you know, she has to help me. Is <laughs> yeah. I'm having a really hard time, which is pathetic, by the way. But um, but I know you've told stories early on. I think he was 18 months old when you figured out that developmentally he was unique, right? And around what that meant, you've told stories, fascinating actually. I think at the age of three how he memorized all the capitals in the U.S. in a week, and then he went to Asia. And so you pretty quickly realized, like with anyone actually, I think, that, that what his gifts were, right? But, but then you knew clearly what his challenges were. Mm-hmm. And, and you've also shared, and I'd like to get your, expand on this actually, is it seems like you've been able to take that experience with your son, which you're still having, which is mm-hmm. quite complicated. I want to talk about it more in that world in a second. And, and sort of taking the view that everyone's good at something. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was a teachable moment, I think. I'm not sure at what point that happened. Yeah. But something you apply to work, I think. Is that correct? Yeah. No, and that is correct. I mean, he it was actually at 18 months. He memorized every oh, wow. every state in the U.S. And then did the same with the, cap, with the Capitals. Then did the same. Our neighbor, we were living in Chicago at the time, uh, that thought it was hilarious, right? Or fascinating. And then, yeah. Brought them, brought him a puzzle of Africa. Did the same thing within three days, and then did the huh. same thing in Asia. And so the doctors thought he was Mensa at first, mm-hmm. and then it was wasn't until twenty four months um, that he was diagnosed with autism, mm-hmm. as we saw like his fine motor and gross motor go. And I would say now um, his, his brain. Uh, you know, he's he's twelve, soon to be thirteen, but he operates more as a four-year-old um, with when it comes to speech, fine motor, gross motor, and all that. But you know, at having a recently turned three-year-old and Zoe, um, you know, she's really good at like already athletics, where he might not be, mm-hmm. you know. But he his memory at the time surpassed hers, mm-hmm. right? So I really, um, he's been such a uh, tremendous blessing for, for our family. While it's definitely the largest challenge we've ever uh, faced in our, li- our lifetimes by far, um, he's made me a better leader. And really focusing on the gold rather than the weaknesses. Mm-hmm. 
and I was just talking about one employee today, and they're you know really talented at X, <laughs> but we need to surround them with someone that would help um, him or her get better at Y, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, that's what leadership is. I mean, leadership is pulling out the best in people and not shining a spotlight on the worst. You know, everybody's got a weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think you know if if, if the perfect you know, vision I've had of, of, a, of a corporation singing is, you know, just that orchestra and perfect pitch. Mm-hmm. And that violinist is a violinist for a reason. And that cello player is a viol- cello player for a reason. And there's a developer that's a really good engineer, right? Mm-hmm. There's another ve- developer that's a visionary. Mm-hmm. There's a leasing person that's very tenacious and urgent and just can knock down deals. But there's another leasing agent that just harnesses those relationships. Mm-hmm. It's really focusing on those strengths and putting people around each other to really um, harness um, that orchestra, if you will. Which you'd argue is a, is a gift in a lot of ways, both in style and then finding the gifts within those people. But talk mm-hmm. about also, it relates to this, is you've used the term servant leadership, which I love, mm-hmm. by the way. And I, 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 I've never used those words. I've always said like an upside-down pyramid. Mm-hmm. I always viewed in the... the Opportunities where I was fortunate enough to have uh, a group of people. My job was to get stuff out of the way so they could do theirs, which is, in some ways, I think what servant leadership is. But I'd love for you to share more about that actually and what that means to you. It's servant leaderhood. Servanthood is just. It really is. I mean, doing whatever it takes, right? Mm-hmm. And and putting ourselves at all equals. You know, mm-hmm. having a flat organization where. Yeah, my I have three initials, and my CFO has three initials, and mm-hmm. EVPs have three initials. But you know, the admins are equally important, mm-hmm. right? And treating everybody the same has just been the way you know I was raised, and and the way I was treated too as I was growing up through the organizations at GGP or or Red or whatever. Um, you know, I've had great examples of of just that servanthood mindset, servant leader mindset where it's um it's just you know if, if there's if there's things you know if i can need to move a table i'll move a table you know nothing's below me nothing's above me and that's a really rare I, it is a rare quality certainly yeah. at your level it seems like for whatever reasons um and i only know real estate i'll go there you know, there's a number of people like you there's a number of people that aren't like that and I've never really understood that actually, right? In the mm-hmm. scheme of things, and and the establishment of a false sort of class is the way I do yeah. it. This sort of superiority or inferiority with people, which culturally is is damaging. So yeah. it's refreshing for you to say that. Yeah, and one one of the first things we kind of all have initiatives of when you take over a company, and and there was a executive wing in Michigan office. Mm-hmm. We're sitting here in New York, and we moved our offices to New York. But there was an executive door, and you had to have a pass. You know, a key card to get through. First night, I was, you know, basically screaming, I'm going to Home Depot to get a hammer or get an axe to knock down this door. And uh, my head of HR quickly reminded me, You can't, we don't own the building, and we'll get someone someone to come take it down. So they they did took it down. But it was, you know, we had some, um, let's just say, the the accounting staff was down there. We had some accounting staff that had never been over there. And just opening that up is just, listen, I think we're all in the same boat. We're all rowing the same direction, hopefully. Mm-hmm. We're all equals. 
and just having that mindset, you know, where humanity is created equal. Yeah. You know, yeah, things say different things on the card. That's never the way um, I've led. And if I ever turn out that way, I've given people permission to uh, to let me know about it. As noted, I guess. Yeah. Right? So how do, you, how do you maintain that culturally in your organization? Like, of course, you went through Rouse, where there's three of you, and, yeah. it, and it grew up. And it did have a distinct culture, and I'd say yeah. it was very positive. And yeah. I knew a bunch of people there, and it was a great story. And here you are, something that's established, but you, you're you know putting your own stamp on it and what it's going to be like. How do, you, how do you maintain that? How do you keep the right culture? And It's tough. I mean, I think culture is the foundation of everything. I think culture, if you're visualizing like building a house, it's, it's the foundation, right? I mean, you're building the culture really almost at the same time or before you're laying the bricks on the walls. Um, so, I mean, hiring like-minded people mm-hmm. from a, what, what, cult, what culture is to them, something I've been blessed with with the staff here from the CFO to the EVP of leasing to SVP of, of, of uh, development to kind of other key people and existing head of asset management, existing head of uh, acquisitions and dispositions. I mean, we're all like-minded when it comes to nothing's below us and we'll all roll up our sleeves almost in a blue collar way and, and get after it. Mm-hmm. There's Mark, you know, Mark Rose at Avacyn mm-hmm. Young probably, yeah. right? And I'd say, probably shouldn't admit this, I've had a man crush on him for years yeah, and great. trying to find ways to work together. But um, I did a podcast with him and he's pretty vocal and his abbreviation on culture is the no asshole rule, which I guess he publicly states and all his people tell him to stop doing that. Yeah. And it's uh, Blackstone actually, Schwartzman said the same thing. They yeah. have a no asshole rule and we, were, we have a no asshole rule and we talk about it a lot. And, yeah. um, you know, it just, it, it really, you know, that when you put an individual before the company, mm-hmm. there's no room. Yeah. And we are people of humility, integrity, passion, great work ethic, and inner drive. That's kind of the, and grit, I love to say. And, you know, we do, I mean, we do have a no asshole policy. Yeah. I mean, we're spending more waking hours with our co-workers than we are with our families like life is short you, you said something i think might have been in a podcast or an article mm-hmm. about um and i this holds true for me is i hold on to the negative experiences i have and never recreate them again agreed and you know it's interesting too if you go back why why has it changed in the last 30 40 years think about the 70s and 80s where it was very dictatorial mm-hmm. it was class oriented within a company right you were mm-hmm. I was an Anderson guy starting, so I was like, I spent my first year on a, on a copy machine, and if anyone else walked up, I had to stand down, <laughs> you know, and um, it's fascinating to go from that time, and that's not just this space, it was everywhere, I think, mm-hmm. right, to where we are today, and the management style, and the importance, and the shift, and I would guess at some level, I'm just sort of thinking out loud that, you know, people are realizing that, and son Delaney would say this, right, and you know, we, mm-hmm. we dealt with those guys a little bit, general growth. You know, certain cultures outperform others, and it's these healthier cultures. And it's not necessarily about the economics, but when it involves the economics, it reinforces the behavior. And that's probably why we've changed in total. Yeah, I mean, you could even look at just even, like, what's happening with the office world, right? And looking Mm -hmm. at spaces. I mean, even look at this. I mean, we have kombucha on draft, you know, and an open floor plan. And, and, uh, you know, sustainable, you know, products, right? So... You know, a lot of this is really the office world is gearing towards making the employees comfortable, right, and creating a collaborative environment. Um, 
that wouldn't have happened in the seventies. I mean, you yeah. go from the Mad Men type, everyone's chain brown, smoking with the doors closed, with scotch and the <laughs> cigars and the and the cigarettes and yeah. and um, yeah. I mean, it's it's just drastic. It's drastic. It's drastic. And now it's you know WeWork and Convene and mm-hmm. all this you know phenomenal design, mm-hmm. but also collaborative. You know, yeah. I agree. Going back in time, my dad, you and I were talking earlier, but was an Anderson partner, but he tells a story about this fellow partner of his. He was an oil and gas guy, my dad was, would travel with this giant case. He was traveling with his liquor. <laughs> like, you had to be kidding me. My, my grandpa time. did the same thing. I mean, he would come to see us in, in Chicago, or, or uh, he retired in Hilton Head, and when he, we, he would come up to, uh, he rented a house in, in my grandma in Vermont. For the summer, and we'd spend some time there, and he would bring his scotch in, yeah. in his suitcase. You know, every time I'm like, "Can't you just buy it at a liquor store?" Like, <laughs> I don't know. Something with that scotch. I think most of us now are trying to buy more time, which is leads to the healthier habits. Right? So, what about? I think you touch on this, but when you when you look at hiring people or working with other people, whether in a partnership or as an employer or whatever structure, what qualities are you going out for? What 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 impresses you? I mean, I do like grit. I think grit is something that if you have it, you know, it's that hustle and it's that resilience uh, mindset where, you know, some days are going to be easier than the next, but if you hit a roadblock, that grit will get you by. Obviously, uh, integrity is, is, is huge. It might be number one. Um, from a passion, you know, whatever department they're in you know you you could see at least we could see you know during interviews if that person has that passion for this Mm -hmm. job and then uh humility you know just head down and um you know we'll celebrate our victories but we'll be we'll be quick to focus on the next next text at hand we haven't talked at all about ramco but we should and and you want to share more sort of the platform and your vision for it yeah, so it's a, it's really uh, I think what attracted me was a, it's a misunderstood portfolio from the street you know and the quality is is very good um, you know 57 assets spread throughout the country furthest west is Denver nine um, percent of ABRs in Miami um, mostly grocery anchored all open air um, with the exception of one regionally closed mall. Um, but it's 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 very good product. Ninety four percent lease today, um, and we're really you know looking at um, it's a leasing story as anything is in today's world, and and really kind of core core plus mindset. We'll do some redevelopment. Um, we have a deal in Chicago. You and I talked mm-hmm. about uh, Webster Place, where it's a tremendous volume. Regal Theaters uh, with a Barnes and Noble that's vacating in two thousand nineteen with no options. And we're looking at going vertical. There's tremendous residential interest, and we wouldn't do that ourselves, but we would go through the uh, entitlement process and then go through an RFP with residential partners, and there's tremendous interest there. There's a tremendous interest in that deal we have uh, outside Miami uh, from a residential perspective. And then, you know, shops at Lane even with potentially even Ohio State or... um, or some resi, you know, with a $1,200 square foot Whole Foods, uh, roughly, and 148,000 household income within a mile, and there's there's all these things that uh, all over all over the country, and every every asset has its own story, 
uh, but it's going to be mostly a leasing story. It, it's interesting. I love that movie theater, by the way. I was yeah. there recently. It's my favorite one in Chicago. And we all remember the death of the movie theaters. Mm -hmm. So interesting, like, yeah. right? And as you and I know, there's more movie theaters than they ever were before at that point in time. Mm -hmm. They're making more money than they ever made before. Yep. And they're doing it going back to that Webster Theater. I love, they had the best seats. Yep. I can order beer. Not that I drink beer, but yep. occasionally do. But that whole part of it, really, right? And yep. so it's a great analogy, I think, for as an example for retail in general because there's this whole death of the retail which I think we're out of actually like at least the messaging it's been going on for three four years it's faded seems like 20 <laughs> seems like a lifetime for some yeah who you ask no. and it seems like we're out of that mode and and you know maybe at some level we're over retail and we could debate the statistics and you know the right 24 square feet per cap all that kind of stuff um, but you know how do you look and you, you've mentioned we work and convene and those models you're seeing on the office side are there concepts or new things that you think are coming in in retail that are worth mentioning well i think i think you got to look at you know the digital aspect of you know let's take the successful um e-commerce guys to start with mm -hmm. warby parker bonobos right casper now mm -hmm. and all their ceos saying we need we need physical retail yes enough said you know yeah so, you know, whether it's Allbirds or whoever, you know, alongside them, I mean, yeah. they're, that shows you the future of physical, you know. That also shows you the, the, that they do really e-commerce well, good, really well. Right. And so the physical guys that have not done e-commerce yep. well yep. are getting better at it. And I like to say, you know, retail isn't dying. Bad retail is dying. <laughs> quickly and I think and you're right and so that middle segment and that middle segment might be just you know not to say names on a podcast but just um, you know retailers that haven't invested in themselves that haven't invested in their stores that haven't invested mm -hmm. in you know the messaging and branding or yep. social component um, at all yeah it's true ICSE came out with a report although it's not new to you and that was effectively just validating when those online retailers open physical stores, online sales in the trade area go up. Mm -hmm. And of course, that study came out a different version. AT Carney had one, Bain had one, yep. 2014. Yep. And people just kept ignoring that. And I remember being on your side of the table going, okay, this is physical retail's driving online sales. It's real. No, yep. it's not going away. Yeah. There's no way it's going away. Yep. Right. And um, yeah, Tom McGee just published something, I think, this week or weekend yeah, or was, something. Yeah. yeah, yeah it was this just, week or so. Yeah. I mean, we were just in, in Minneapolis with Target and just talking about just an unbelievable retailer that's getting it. You know, even in the city, they're doing here, they're doing 20,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in Westchester, they might have 150,000 square mm -hmm. feet. One in Tribeca has Chobani yogurts mm -hmm. and is kind of tailored, you know, from an architectural and design perspective for that neighborhood. They get it and have early on got it. Mm -hmm. You know, what Walmart's doing with Jet. Certain, you know, they're only going to grow 15 stores next year, but they're putting more infrastructure into their existing stores. Mm. Um, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. I think I was reading something where Walmart, 90% of Walmart stores are within, or I'm sorry, yeah, 90% of the population of the United States are within a 10 mile mm. ring of Walmart stores. It's just, just think about that from like a grocery perspective. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. Unbelievable, yeah. And the sheer infrastructure. 
It's unimaginable, actually. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. How many employees they have? It's, oh, like it's some yeah, ridiculous yeah, number. Yeah. Yeah, it's off the charts. Well, let me let me shift gears. We're getting near the end of our time, so there's a question I always ask, which is, if, if you go back in time and you're in Kansas and you're going to give yourself advice, mm-hmm. what would you tell yourself today, twenty year old self? I've just been foul, you know. I just uh, I wouldn't say actually, Scott. I'm, I'm blessed that I wouldn't say much more. I mean, I would say you know, follow your passion. Where when I started, it was a nineteen thousand dollar draw. I made seven thousand dollars, so I was twelve in the hole. Both my parents were like, what the heck are you doing? Conservative banker, conservative teacher, you know. And I I remember telling them I wanted to build a career at 21 or 22 rather than at 40. Mm -hmm. And I'd rather take the sacrifice early on Mm -hmm. than later. And to me, honestly, it's it's never been a job. It's been a hobby. Now, I have certain days, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Dealing with certain yeah. things, or uh, where it's it's it is more job, but that let's just say five percent, ten percent of the time. You know, it's it's following that passion. I would just encourage those um, to really dig deep inside at a young age and really, you know, what lights your fire, what evokes your 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 passion, and and go for it, and you know, align yourself up with mentors with in the industry but also outside the industry i mean some of my best ideas or best collaboration probably most of them right now are coming from the outside and um yeah i appreciate it thanks for the time really thank you enjoyed it hope our paths cross again yeah looking forward to it i look forward to hearing the rest of the story great thanks scott